I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and Sirius XM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and Sirius XM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Hello everybody, it's your smooth talking, far too horny bruiser cat, Holden McNeely. And groovy gravy, man. It's awesome. Keep on glunking. Gotta do it to do it. <laughs> um, Your Mr. Natural Wizard, also super horny, like upsettingly Weirdly, horny. everyone, we're all horny right now. Like a now. level of horny that you really should see a therapist about. <laughs> There's a lot going on. I just Some please. would say far too just unhealthily hornballed. Like, don't get me wrong, bro. I, we, we all get boners, but, like, seek help, <laughs> horny wizard. <laughs> What's your name? Uh, Jake Young. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome. It is our episode on R. Crumb, and this episode is a Patreon-sponsored episode from Brad Mannion. Brad Mannion, thank you so much, and here is the shout-out. This episode of Wizards of the Bruiser goes out to Dr. Chris Pizzino. Not sure if you're a fan of the podcast, Dr. Pizzino, but this shout-out is the least I could do for the person who gave me a love for comics that I still possess after all these years. And if you're a lover of comics theory or comics of all shapes, sizes, and stories, I wholeheartedly recommend picking up Dr. Pizzino's book, Arresting Development. Believe me when I say you will not be able to put it down and it will be so influential in your understanding of comics as it has been for me. I will check that out. This is awesome. Thanks again for everything, Dr. Pizzino. I hope you continue to inspire students to explore this amazing and beautiful medium and to make sure names like R. Crumb, Charles Burns, and Allison Bechtel are always revered. Should I ever make it big with George Washing Machine, please know it was all thanks to you. Awesome. So I'll also, I, amazing. I guess also check out George Washing Machine, which is, I, I'm assuming, um, uh, Brad's own comic. Thank you so much again, Brad. Now let's get into it let's talk about our purse let's do the let's do the gush mush okay okay. that's the only way i could say it and and by the way my by gush i don't mean sperm even though we will probably be talking about that throughout today's episode because did we mention our crumb was very horny i uh first ran into our crumb weirdly enough well first of all my parents did have that cheap thrills album Uh. so i mean i inadvertently saw that uh, but I remember I came home and I forgive me. If Wait, you describe heard, the Cheap Thrills cover. Oh, the Cheap Thrills cover. First of all, Big Brother and the Holding Company, Cheap Thrills, is one of the best albums of the late 60s. It is song for song. It's like a perfect album. It's Janis Joplin. It's it's 
got all those big hitters on it. Um, uh, uh, I believe Cry Baby is on it, right? And uh, which is probably my favorite Joplin song. Every song on that album is killer. But the Janis Joplin, it looks like a comic book essentially. It's 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 split up in squares um, with different uh, drawings in them of of his different uh, mainstay characters that he has, and also there's sort of each frame is a uh, reference to one of the songs. It's really cool. Uh, it's just so iconic. If you look it up, you'll know it. Um, you'll probably recognize it immediately. It's one of the most iconic album covers. Definitely one of the most iconic album covers of the late, uh, 60s and the whole hippie movement and everything. Um, but besides that, and again, forgive me if you've heard this story before. I know I've told it either on here or on Patreon bonus, but I remember um, I went to the theater to see a animated film called South Park Bigger Longer and Uncut mm-hmm. and I couldn't believe what I was watching I this was like animation but it was so dirty and so over the top and so insane and I just couldn't believe it and I went home and I saw I saw my dad he was sitting in the kitchen I was like I remember it like it was yesterday I was like dad uh, I just saw the dirtiest cartoon movie ever made and he said well then I guess you have not heard of Fritz the Cat and I said, nope. And then I went to the Blockbuster, I think maybe <laughs> even that night, if not the next day or so. And uh, lo and behold, they had a copy of Fritz the Cat. I wonder if I had to go to my indie video store even, Vizart Video in Charlotte. Uh, I don't know if that's still around, but that was like where I went to get all the good indies to get all my trauma movies and stuff like that. Uh, so I may have even had to go there, but I picked up Fritz the Cat and I was kind of shocked by what I saw. I was also like... Even I, as a young kid, was like, this is, like, really offensive. Like, whoa, mama. Um, Now, I will say, though, we'll get into it, but that was not actually sanctioned by Crumb, and he kind of – he does hate the film Fritz the Cat. So don't necessarily go – grab Fritz the Cat thinking the film is a reflection of the comic or our crumb but still that's what led me to crumb and you know I noticed that and crumb and but I, I swear to God crumb and Bakshi are so alike yes. in their kind of like outsider status who like found weird Bakshi's like she's the guy who directed the yeah. Fritz the Cat uh, movie and, and animated it or what yeah so they have a lot of like like it's not that far from a lot of Crumb's work. Well, that's the thing. I think Crumb was just like, the way you did it, the fucked up way that you did the movie is different from the fucked up way I would have done the movie. You know yeah, what I mean? But it was, still, it was still not the way he would have done it, you know? Um, uh, but on top of that, and again, I, you know, going into it, I was like, you know, a lot of my personal experience with our Crumb was a lot of the media, like, around him right mm-hmm. so then came american splendor the film mm-hmm. which we'll talk about the harvey Car connection and everything either way amazing movie i'm gonna gush about it later in the episode probably too when we get to him uh harvey Car, that is and his relationship with crumb and what the comic strip american splendor was and the movie of the same name is just so good uh, uh, Paul Giamatti plays Picar. It's just this amazing. Ah, oh, it's just such a killer, like indie movie. Uh, and I loved it. And you know that gave me another insight in. And I think based off of that movie, I picked up uh, uh, one of the graphic novels uh, talked about uh, that you know they went over in that movie called Our Cancer Year, which was not an <laughs> drawn by R. Crumb, but still a really good graphic novel from uh, Picar. And after that. I again, I had like recognized his work. I, it was always kind of there, but I never really picked anything up per se. And it wasn't until I think uh, I watched the Crumb documentary that both of us watched again earlier today. 
that really gave me the end to Crumb's world. And it is a fascinating documentary presented by David Lynch, directed, though, by um, Zweigoff. And it is a phenomenal, like, indie doc Great stuff if you like that kind of thing and really gets you into the headspace and into the whole all of it with him and all of his exes and his lusts and his weird personality, his bizarre family, his like Gilbert Grape style family of misfits and recluses and just really gives you an understanding of where this guy came from as much as we'll try to today. Jake. How about yourself? Because you said you read a lot of Arkham uh, back so, in the day. Arkham, like this episode, Hong Kong, zoom, 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 wonkity, wonkity, wah, 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 comedy geek history on Wizard and the Bruiser. <laughs> this week has been a harrowing dive into both the sickness within our crumbs mind and in a weird way, a reflection of uh, kind of the person I used to be because sure. I was up obsessed with independent comics as a kid like black and white like underground comics thing like there's a previous version of my life where i was like i'm not talking to you right now i'm like still in a hole in my parents basement uh you know just drawing like cross-hatched black and white weird confessional comics about my fucked up ideas about women and society and Arkham, even though i still like never really sat down and was like Oh, I love this Arkham comic. He was such a this this presence in the scene because he was the grandfather. He was the big like uh, progenitor of of this entire like punk rock indie uh, you know humanist movement. Uh, I was I, you know I I followed like uh, Peter Bag, Joe Mad, Joe Sacco, Alison Bechdel, uh, Evan Dorkin. Just I just kept consuming like all these comics. I would go to. Uh, uh, conventions like SPX and I would like collect like hand uh, Xeroxed comics and it was like such a vibrant scene and like also I was a weird horny kid sure and like had downright pathologies because I was a fucking uptight repressed weirdo that like was tr like treating women like they were these unfathomable love givers that could not be pleased and wrote bitchy like comics yeah. all about it totally. and you know uh a lot of the personal growth that like i feel like i've made as a human being was about kind of throwing away a ton of the fucking pathology that Arkham has carried throughout his entire life so it's a mind fuck like reading this granddaddy well, it's funny because you going into this like we've had this on the queue for a while right yeah. i've been really excited to do it so i've been like when are we gonna do it jake you want to do it this week and you've been kind of like no 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 no. let's put it. you always kind of put put it off a little bit and i was always wondering why and this makes so much sense now because i was like yes definitely and i will say this right now though you could definitely say the word in, in at least in 2019 problematic about our crumbs work in in different facets you know um it's there's well, racial stuff there's a ton of sex stuff um for sure and uh you know and i i get that and at the same time i'm talking about this oh thing dan klaus also dan klaus a lot of dan yes Klaus. yes yes i'm also talking about this thing as a thing separate from me but i think maybe for you it's a little freaky deaky because of you of your connection to it at at least one point in your life and at the same time i also want to sit here and wag my finger and 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 um try to undermine his body of work because it is amazing there's it's just a complex is, thing you know he i lived mean, a very singular life that kind I, of 
could only exist at this specific moment yes. in yes. the history of both humor and cartooning and illustration LSD. and society <laughs> and drugs and hippie culture. Yeah. Like he's bouncing around the country. He's gaining all these weird skills, making all these weird friends. And like, he's really this unique figure, but uh, like in crumb, it's, you know what it is? I think it's, it's a generational pushback where, uh, you know, if you're not a weird uptight nerd who grew up reading way too many 1940s comics and cartoons and 1950s sitcoms you're not on his wavelength you're not understanding where he's coming from you're not seeing the weird lens through which his society is and uh plus just generic boomer bullshit attitudes towards like sex and and relationships there was so much more repression going on back then that we don't think about so for the newest for the newer generation that comes in you know, like they read these comics and it really is just a horny old hippie, like just a just a shitty guy with amazing uh, crosshatching skills and amazing page layout <laughs> That's the thing too, and his, amazing character. His stuff skills. looks amazing. And there's a reason why his stuff like looked like nobody else's. And, you know, it's just a matter of like uh, in Crumb, there's like the guy from like Time magazine with the British accent like. He expresses the 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 id of the new millennium. He is, of course, uh, both commentating and reflecting the society we live in. And like a bunch of people in their twenties who have been doing this and read just as much comics and are trying to make their own stuff, is like, nah, he's just like a really horny dude, <laughs> <laughs> and like horny in a way that like you go to a therapist for. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, and and but also though, and I will say this: uh, I think an appreciation, especially when you're younger, but even for me today, especially with the world that we're living in and how. I feel like we're almost going into a re-repression in a certain way. I love anything that's just wild. Anything mm. that says to me, this person is going for it, you mm. know? Even though it's embarrassing, even though it's disgusting, even though it is what it is. And, like, that even goes all the way to fucking Gigi Allen to a certain degree until you just can't handle it anymore. Yeah, but there aren't art guy. galleries in Belgium with Gigi <laughs> Allen on it with a bunch of old boomers being like, mm, yes, $5,000 for this one. For sure, but I think I'll always... What's this one called? Queen Titty Rump Bump? <laughs> yes, good. I I think I'll always appreciate that tenacity and that sort of self-expression, and yeah. I, I I fear a world, uh, I fear a future where we can't have our crumbs, you know, a little bit. There's a part of me that, that, that you know, and it's a complex issue, like I said. Judo flip. Women of the earth would love if there were less our crumbs. <laughs> sure, sure. But they could relax I mean. at parties if there were less our but, crumbs. But I don't mean like, th I, what I mean is literally people taking massive risks. Also, you know, I would look at like Hideaki Anno or someone mm. like that who who is willing to take really big risks and go for really crazy stuff, even if it might come off as problematic or whatever the fucking word you want to call it. You know what I mean? Because that's in a way where I feel like I'm glad we did this subject this week because Again, it's not all of me, mm -hmm. but part of me fears a future where we just don't have people who go for it anymore. And I, I'm that's why I was really uh, thrilling to get to learn about this guy and everything around it. I think it's just natural growing pains that like now that um, like white dudes don't have total control of what is considered the canon. Mm -hmm. Other voices are coming in and being like, do we really like, is this the guy that gets to be in the canon? Right, right, right. And like, that's and I welcome <laughs> not just white dudes going for it. I'll yeah. say that for fucking sure. You know what I mean? I want to know about every uh, different race and genders. Uh, Horniness. <laughs> I would love to see all. I want to see it all out in front of me in a wild display. More. Guys, <laughs> I'm not talking about repression. I'm talking about we need 
equal horniness. horniness. Equal horniness across the board. Okay, let's get into it. Robert Dennis Crumb, uh, uh, of course, if you... Oh, by the way, I guess I'll give this synopsis right now. He is a cartoonist and a musician who was at the forefront of the underground comics movement in the 1960s. But let's talk about the little baby crumb. Born in 1943 in Philly, uh, he grew up in a very Catholic household. His father was a combat illustrator in the U.S. Marine Corps for 20 years. Also served as a drill sergeant for a year. Yes, and he wrote the book. This, uh, I'm sure, is a, a wild romp called Training People Effectively, which is a manual for instructors in the workforce. And uh, his mother, apparently he was a hard ass. And uh, just awful and uh, just a person that made no, you physically abusive. Yeah, physically abusive. A person that made you very scared. His mother, probably in reaction to this, was addicted to diet pills and amphetamines um, throughout his childhood. His parents were largely unhappy. They argued a lot. R. Crumb had to be around it a ton. He had two brothers and two sisters. The brothers suffered heavily from mental illness. If you watch the documentary, you actually get a good taste of the brothers uh crippling just bizarre. i mean it's just weird man I, they were they were isolated yeah. it was um the growing hou- up that house looks awful yeah so <laughs> it's just like sheets on the walls and just it's not a great place uh the you know not a lot of parental uh uh security uh it's a very traumatizing environment and the brothers kind of uh you know to the brothers kind of you know become their own best friends they kind of all join together uh, and uh, Charles, the oldest, is obsessed with funny animal comics, which was the style of the time. We talk about it in the DuckTales episode. This was, uh, you know, 1950s pre-Marvel superhero boom. Post-Superman uh, superhero, that's the 30s. Uh, there's a set zone where it's it's funny animal comics. Carl yes. Barks, all that stuff. Uh, yeah, Fleischer Brothers, who did Betty Boop and Popeye. You've got Walt Kelly, who did Pogo, Pinocchio, Fantasia, Dumbo. Chester Gold with stuff like Dick Tracy. And Harold Gray with stuff like An- Annie, uh, Orphan Annie. All of those, except for Dick Tracy, but even that was over-the-top designs, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's really bubbly and really round and very mm-hmm. a lot of animals and cutesy stuff. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, they start, I mean, they start, uh, the brothers start making their own comics, mm-hmm. and uh, you can find them in the complete crumb anthologies that are out there, and they're, uh, you know, just drawn on pencil on just regular plain old paper, and mm-hmm. they are very, they're just like, they're they're just, I, I don't know how to describe it, there's- Old school. Uh, they're old school. They're trying <laughs> to be old style Disney comics with like lengthy word balloons and kind of uh, very- just phoned in gags. And, and by the way, it is Charlie, his older brother, who is mentoring him. Right. It started out that Charlie is the one just super obsessed with. And I remember this with my own older brother where he would come home and be like, this is the thing you're into now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and it's funny now because Charlie in later life, you know, he's he's an avid reader, but not necessarily of comics. And of course, you have R. Crumb, who's dedicated his whole life to it after that point. But he really taught hit uh, R. Crumb how, you know, like how to draw. Then he would give him a lot of feedback and encouragement to keep working on stuff uh, as they created comic books together. When they got to high school, neither were particularly popular. And uh, the Charles and Robert actually collaborate to create their own humor magazine, a comic compilation called Foo. Which is uh, you, you, what you have to understand is Mad Magazine, right? Yeah, exactly. You, you, this, and we need to do an episode on Mad Magazine. We absolutely do. Uh, and Mad Magazine. There was also another humor magazine called Humbug. These were like huge at the time, especially for kids. 
at that age. I mean, they were huge for me when I was growing up, but I mean, th- they were new. They were fresher back then, even in terms of an institution. This this was like this whole new concept, and so they took it and ran with it. Crumb said, "When I was fourteen, Mad was a very heavy thing. It was the first thing that poked fun at the mass media. The old Mad comics worked inside the mass media, but it started getting too strong. People got scared, and the government threatened action. The publishers formed the Comic Code. There haven't been any good comics since then. That's thirteen years at the time of the interview that I pulled that from. So they have this uh, their own. What was it called again? Foo. Foo, uh, which is like a like a weird nonsense word from another comic strip they loved. Yeah, and they found like a weird printer in someone's garage in there in like or in the Philly suburb they were living in, and uh, they start trying to sell them to their fellow students. Uh, just hold on. Can you imagine how amazing it is? To like you're in high school, it's the 1950s. You're, uh, you know, you're wearing those cone boob bras. You're ready to go to the sock hop with uh, sure. cigarettes rolled in your sleeve. You're in the middle of like eight switchblade fights a day. Absolutely, really fucking good at pinball. Your deuce coupe is revving in the driveway. Yeah, and then the two weirdest kids in your entire <laughs> school, the ones who like uh, stare at nobody and like make the girls feel uncomfortable and like. Um, don't look any of the other boys, don't make eye contact with any other boys, uh, sell you their funny magazine full of drawings. I mean, that's pretty much the same thing as me hawking my ba- uh, album that I cut with my middle school band. So. Uh, it's the same as me trying to do stand-up at a school talent show. No. <laughs> what did, do you remember anything I killed, you I did? destroyed, I'm a did fucking you, god. Did anyway. you kill? Yeah. Um, but, what did, do you remember any material you did? Uh, yeah, it was all racist. <laughs> I mean, moving on. Um, so... It just doesn't it doesn't sell. Uh, they have a bunch of copies, but there's a community of um, fa- Mad Magazine fans who are like sharing their own homemade humor zines. It's like the era of the pen pal, the era of the letter correspondence, and so uh, the the Crumbs Foo Magazine actually gets like it's gets sent to what ends up being this weird like underground network of what will be a lot of the formative figures in the comic scene. He's also super duper getting horny around this time. It's around 13, 14, of course, the hormones oh, start kicking Oh, this is in. amazing. This is amazing. In the Complete Crumb comics, in volume one, where you're reading the childhood comics, uh, Charles Crumb uh, is obsessed with Treasure Island. It's like a formative thing in their upbringing. Mm-hmm. Like the, based on the Disney movie, and it's this bizarre psychotropic thing where as it keeps going, you can see each of them get weirder and hornier as they grow up. Because they made like dozens of chapters of this homemade fan comic about Treasure Island. Mm. And um, Robert introduces a new character named Mabel. <laughs> and Mabel is, hear me out, a giant, thick-legged, big-assed woman who uh, works as a bar at the local tavern, sometimes as a lady of the evening, and uh, she always flirts with Jim from Treasure Island, uh, who is usually drawn by Charles. Uh, And so a lot of the comics is like weird flirting between the two brothers because they would draw the comics like on alternating characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like Robert just wants an excuse to draw sexy ladies and like Charles's character is like crawling all over her. It's biz- It's a fuck. It- From day one, we're in a psychotropic nightmare. Uh, but again, you leave a bunch of boys alone, horny boys, 
they're going to start flirting with each other through the pages of a Treasure Island comic. This Absolutely. is just inevitable. Absolutely. I mean, and, and also at this it's time. Like, uh, it's like uh, when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons and your one DM is way too good at voicing <laughs> the female PCs. It just <laughs> happens. Shit happens. All right. It's normal. Uh, he was very obsessed also with Sheena, which was like sort of a lazy, uh, a lazy, a lady Tarzan. It's TV also show. a lazy Tarzan. It TV is also show. a lazy Tarzan TV show where it was just a big, large woman. I guess we should go ahead and establish our crumbs type at this point he loved uh real thick stocky legs big tall like when we say big women we mean like women it's almost like women who seem like they should exist in a world that is to a different scale you know what i mean like very large legs and a big ass Mm. not necessarily like um uh obese or whatever you might you might think of it when you say the word big right they're just though they can be though they lord knows they can lord knows they can be but um mainly just like these just massive thighs i'll literally be walking down the street and i'll look maybe this is fucked up to say but i'll be like oh that's an r crumb lady yeah yeah, no like i will because there's it's such as only because it's such a specific type and i mean he wants to like ride them and stuff he's like there's always like footage of him like riding on women's backs mm-hmm. and stuff like that there's something i one of his like ex- the way he describes the way he always draws sex and he draws a lot of a sex a lot of sex is like a tiny man yeah. being almost engulfed by a giant woman's yeah, thighs I, I, and i, I think like, he'd be a part of the whole vor scene oh he was born to like <laughs> it's a shame he moved to france before he could discover vor cuz actually no fuck it he drew tons of women yeah, eating yeah. people tons of that tons of like that's the thing um cute like kind of round face mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. weird yeah weird weird scaled proportions oh that's what i was gonna say i loved in the documentary the one of his exes who runs the uh porn uh magazine company oh jugs the editor of jugs yeah the editor of jugs she was talking about how she at this party she's like athletic masculine loud outward men love like the big breast aesthetic and yada, yada, yada. Maybe this is all full of shit, but she was talking about how it's the quiet, shy men that love the big ass and legs thing. And it's a lot to do with the scared little boy looking up at his mother with those strong legs and, and you know what I mean? And, and, and feeling that sense of safety and security. And um, they feel so quiet and small and scared. And that to them is a sense of strength and security. It's true. But, uh, God, so many. Um, okay, wait. So in the timeline, uh, they made Fu. It didn't go anywhere. Charles Crumb kind of stops caring about comics. At one point, Charles uh, graduates from high school before Robert, makes a move to go to California, and a month later comes home with his tail between his legs. Yeah, his, and father, kind gives, of- his father gives him 40 bucks. Mm-hmm. He takes off. Uh, it doesn't go so hot. But Robert is uh, also in high school, is still in high school, about to graduate. And he is uh, depressed. He's not having fun. All of his, he's still he's still making comics, and they're all super self pitying. Literally, like, why don't the girls love the me, the nice guy? Like, oh, they just love the jerks. Like, right, the classic. Ex- the classically, ex- how I felt in middle school. Classically, too. how I also felt in in school. But like, <laughs> as a society, we've been like, oh, is that not? Is that is that bad? Is that weird? Is that like? Just a toxic ideology that brings nobody happiness. Mm-hmm. Again, not this was a normal episode for me. <laughs> I felt normal this whole week. You didn't have to dig deep inside your soul and confront the demon that lives there at all. Jake. No. Um, <laughs> so or he, have to watch as for 
50 years, this guy has been traveling the world universally praised uh, yeah. for being the exact kind of weirdo that I had to go to therapy for years to be like, oh, maybe this wasn't making me happy. <laughs> so, okay. R. Crumb gets out of high school. He was the one who leaves. His father gives him 40 bucks. He gets a gig designing novelty greeting cards for American Greetings. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, so, so this is... This is the ch- this is the part of his life that I researched the most. So like I gotta Give talk it to about you. this. Lay it on me then. All right. So you, you, you here you go. Here are the keys. You, you you're you're in the bat. You're in the driver's so seat. Robert Crumb graduates high school and has nowhere to go. Uh, his brother Charles is also there, having uh, moved back home and like kind of failed on the living outside of the house. And uh, Robert just has no romantic prospects. Uh, his dad sends him on various bullshit work jobs. Uh, literally, uh, at one point, he had to leave the house uh, to tr- go around the neighborhood, drawing other people's houses, knocking on their door, and then asking if the homeowner if they'd like a dra- like the drawing. Like that's just to, just because the dad was like furious that his fail sons, to use the popular vernacular, were stuck at home while his mother uh, hopped up on amphetamines. Was like, uh, no, precious baby, safe baby, good baby, uh, stay with mommy. Uh, was fucking him up. Was fucking him up real bad. Robert describes a moment where he literally stood outside, hearing his parents argue in the house over, about him, uh, and just staring at a swimming pool, questioning like if he should kill himself, mm. and like looking at the inky void, just truly like just being like, I could drown. It'd be quick. I'm gonna do it. And just after a half hour of thinking it out, he decides that non-existence is still worse than a painful existence. He writes about this experience to his friend, Marty Pauls, who says who they had become pen pals because he had sent issues of Foo his way, and they were lovers of comics. Mm. And Marty immediately goes, uh, hey, buddy, why don't you come on out uh, to Cleveland? Or Is it Cleveland or Cincinnati? I always get it confused. Yeah, Cleveland. Cleveland. Why don't you come on out to Cleveland? Huh? Hang out. Be fine. It's, just, it's fine. Cool. Hang out. It's Cleveland. Yeah. Just, it's fine. just get the fuck out of that house. I'll take care of you. Whatever, bro. Just get the <laughs> fuck out of there. Art Crumb takes, takes Marty's advice. He becomes his roommate. And uh, he's just, it's, this is a weird time for Cleveland. It's like right before a ton of race riots. It's like this declining industrial town on... Uh, before the counterculture is set in, everything's like kind of. But you do have these budding bohemians, right, g- gathering around over there because it's you know t- cheap to live, yada yada yada. Arkham literally walks into like the public jobs department, like you know just the shitty place you go to like collect your social security check. The without even looking at his portfolio, the woman on the other end of the desk was like, "Oh, you're an artist." Okay, immediately calls American Greetings, mm. which was the most dominant greeting card company in the world. They were based out of Cleveland in a giant brick factory that you can still like rent studio space in. I mean, that's thing. American Greetings. I passed an American Greetings big ass American Greetings store today. Yeah, uh, earlier. It's still it's it's almost as big as Hallmark. I mean, in terms of cultural relevancy, like. American Greetings did the cool shit. They were the <laughs> good stuff. And he gets a job the next day working in the training program doing, uh, quote unquote, color separation. Now, color separation sucks. Sucks. <laughs> it is, you know, he would literally get a watercolor painting from one of the main artists and he would have to figure out how to break down all the different color layers for four color printing. And that required meticulous line work various like professional art tools he had only been making comics with like a number two pencil at this point but now he's learning 
how to use professional artist tools. He's learning precision. He's learning uh, various tone methods. So like when you think of that art crumb, art hatchy, you know, cross hatchy style, this is where he's learning to master that and how to control uh, tone and grayscale. And on a random day, one of the fucking, uh, you know, higher ups who uh, notices his margins doodles just full of little cartoon characters. and was like, oh, you can draw a bunch of little cartoon characters and they swap him up. He goes to the top, like top floor for the quote unquote. This was the highbrow imprint. And uh, he immediately makes friends. He is prolific. All the old weird dudes are like, can you stop fucking drawing so much? You're making us look bad. And uh, he discovers a steady paycheck. He discovers like comfy digs and he immediately hates working there. Yeah. He hates the uh, cynics in the business department. He hates how comfy all the old men are. He hates that his old job was so much harder and how much of like the greeting card industry is built on human misery of like hundreds of people just for like one shitty idea of a, a birthday card. Not only and this is this is I'm just this is where the crossover comes in. His main boss was a guy named Tom Wilson, who was the creator of Ziggy. Oh. And R. Crumb swears up and down that the main idea of Ziggy was stolen <laughs> from him. <laughs> because he had a he and another writer had a frog character uh that was later Augie, I think, later used in the Yum Yum book, uh, that had a tagline called like it's tis sad. Tis sad. He's, and they drew a bunch of gag comics about like this woeful loser frog. And then Tom Wilson just a Oh, and there was a local barber who like did all the haircuts for all the cartoonists whose name was Ziggy. Mm. And uh, hmm. a couple years later, after Arkham leaves, who fucking destroys the fucking world with his brand new character, Ziggy the Sad Frog Looking Man? <laughs> Tom fucking Wilson. Hi, Holden here. And today I want to talk about Quip. Life can be so chaotic for the modern-day wizard bruiser. Whether it's slaying dragons or turning a minotaur into a frog with a spell, it's important that you start your day off and end it right with a nice, peaceful brushing of the teeth. Simplify the morning and evening now with a simpler electric toothbrush from Quip. Quip employs sensitive sonic vibrations for an effective clean that's gentle on your sensitive gums. I used to brush way too hard, like a lot of people out there, and way too impatiently. With Quip's built-in two-minute timer, that's no longer the case. It pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides to help you clean your whole mouth evenly. I literally just got my new brush heads in the mail, which I totally forgot I needed, but that doesn't matter because they are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just $5. Now I can live better than the 75% of folks out there that use old, worn-out, and ineffective bristles. It even comes with a multi-use cover that works as a stand, mounts to mirrors, and slides over your bristles to pack and protect your quip on the go. I take my quip on every trip, and I use it every single day. It's perfect for a wizard bruiser like me. That's why I love Quip and why it's perfect for getting back into a routine. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com forward slash wizard right now, you can get your first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash wizard. There was also some other figures that uh, he met up with back in that time. The other uh, that's got him kind of in the bohemian movement a little bit. Uh, there was Buzzy Linhart, who would later uh, play vibraphone on albums for the likes of Richie Havens, Carly Simon, and Jimi Hendrix. Uh, there was also a guy named Harvey Picar. 
this is when he first met Harvey Picar, and we'll get to American Splendor later on in this story. Also, there was a woman named Dana Morgan, who he ends up marrying in 1964. They travel to Europe and are incredibly poor during that time, and uh, Dana even had to steal food uh, to try to stay alive. Uh, so, yeah, Arkham uh, kind of sees the bohemian movement kind of build up around him. This entire time, he was like just a weird nerd from Philly who just loved collecting old records and doodling in his sketchbooks and like had a shitty day job at um, at a greeting card company and just like all of a sudden more cafes open up and more folk music venues open up and all of a sudden there's all these college girls hanging around him and he just kind of like realizes that like he can he's free to exist in a more permissive social circle and uh despite all of his best efforts to get laid it's he recounts with the, with like with the pride of like a five star general recounting battles every fucked up weird almost time he had sex um one girl named Dana finally like locks him down they supposedly dated for 2 months before they ever even had sex cuz she was also a virgin and they were both weird and shy uh-huh. yeah that's the thing too i mean you you can tell by the documentary but i mean this is a a tall lanky very quiet uh very you know, reclusive. No, no, she's no, she was thick. No, not her. I mean, I'm saying, uh, oh, oh crumb is yeah, this yeah. way. Uh, just a real, you know, with the big old glasses and just, just uber duber nerd. And they have a son named Jesse, and um, the marriage was tumultuous to say the least. Um, also, though, during this time, he's trying to sell his personal work. He's trying to actually get a career going outside of uh, making <laughs> greeting cards. It's Oh, so yeah. It's a very weird – he has a very vagabond existence for a while. He leaves – yeah, you said he – so he goes – he travels Europe. Yeah, so um, in 1964. He travels Europe with Dana. They have a bunch of – fuck because, like, he's living on a – he literally submits greeting card ideas via mail and gets, like – travelers checks back to him in Europe mm. uh, and if they miss a payment they're fucked for like that week mm-hmm. they end up back in New York working for Harvey Kurtzman who is the man behind Mad and Humbug and it's Kurtzman who finally prints some of his strips in a humor magazine called Help uh, and this is what uh, got Crumb to move to New York City uh, the problem is he gets to New York City and Help immediately closes down and then he just goes right back again uh, the tail between his legs situation. He comes right back to, I no, believe, Cleveland. Right? He uh, he worked. It's like so. This is an this is an era where commercial artist is a is a necessary profession. Like, uh, no matter where you go, people need artists. So he bums around. He actually works for Kurtzman for a little bit to uh, draw uh, Little Annie Fanny for Playboy magazine with uh-huh. him. He uh, works for the Topps Bubblegum Card yes, Company. Yes, he does. He's like you know he's dicking around, but like he's also started experimenting with LSD. Dana uh, got a job at a pharmacy and is just getting pills and drugs like from all over. Yeah, and and yeah, he's doing LSD quite a bit. He ends up. Uh, Having a bad trip uh, that on the, oh the fuzzy acid it took like a couple of months to get over. Uh, Crumb said all the time I was taking LSD and I was getting more and more alienated from this mainstream culture that I had to work in to survive. You know, and it became more and more cardboard to me. 
And while he's taking all this acid, he ends up creating most of his well-known characters that would uh, become uh, super popular later. Mr. Natural. That's Mr. the Natural uh, is... stout, bald guy with the long beard and the yellow smock. He's sort of um, a hypocrite. He renounces the material world, but he's also super devoted to pleasure and luxury at the same time. Oh, kind of a scumbag. Uh, the Probably the most difficult character to talk about, I think, in the entirety of this episode, Angel Food McSpade. Uh, a satirical portrayal of a stereotypical black African woman that Crumb, uh, based off the racist depictions of black people from American culture in which he was raised, which received a ton of criticism. Crumb always defended this character by saying that she's actually a criticism of this American stereotypes. And I will say in her first appearance, the commentary literally is that like the white man like fucks up, literally fucks over uh, like black people. Yeah. But, oh man, is it, it's is, tough. It's tough. I mean, it's tough. I, I don't know. I'd have to read, I'd have to read more of that specific character to get a better opinion on the whole thing because it's really a gross depiction but, of, uh, of an African woman. And, um, and, but this was, a, this was very common in the era. Like, um, but man, this was way more usual. Like these types of depictions though were, Way more usual back then, and I also don't. Uh, and I'm not I'm, even I'm also, saying like in the Aunt Jemima kind of way, in like yeah. the old, uh, you know, uh, Pollywog kind of way. Literally in the alt comics scene, sure. Like uh, even yeah, fucking Ralph Bakshi's early movies are full of black characters that are just geez, horrific, yeah, like uh, just bad caricatures, awful caricatures. Because and it's I think, part of the American psyche. That's what the want, acid thing did. And he didn't want to turn his back to any of that stuff. He wanted all of that stuff in there. I mean, uh, hence what. You know, why his stuff's so powerful in, in the sense of it looking like those old-timey 40s cartoons as well, you know, or comic strips. Like, just having that weird uh, crossover of what's going on now socially in the hippie movement and civil rights and all that stuff mixed with this old-looking look stuff gives you this weird sense of Americana that just, like, happens at you all at once. That's That really, like... It's it's this repressed kid that grew up in the 50s with a heavy diet of 1940s comics like Disney, Donald Duck, Treasure Island mixed with a harsh like uh, Leave it to Beaver. Like basically he lived the Leave it to Beaver dream uh, corrupted. Like yeah. that's the America that he was familiar with where the, the dad it's was like not Waters made Leave it yeah. to Beaver. Father didn't know best. Father hit everybody and was a cauldron of fucking rage and failure. Yeah. Mother, what didn't have a roast in the oven? Mother was like crying and like petting her children. Mother was the mom in uh, Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so you take acid, and all of a sudden, all of those influences, all of that pain, all that uh, psychology, all the, all the pathologies, and then through the lens of fucking funny animal comics, get spewed out. And what you have is this weird barf that when you read it, yeah is of the era is like past and present 
gooshed together in the most upsetting way possible. Crumb said this about comics as his medium. Partly it's a nostalgia thing. Comics are an American folk art form. The way to turn people's heads is to take a medium they're familiar with and then do something new to the old medium. Hippie artists have a tendency to try to be exotic rather than embracing the whole thing they came out of. They reject it. It turns me on to absorb the whole culture we came out of. Comic strips, advertisements, bottle caps. Going back to some of the other characters he created during the LSD this LSD crazy phase he was going through, broke as hell with the wife and kid. Um, there was also uh, Snoid, an awfully horny, short-statured asshole who represented Crumb's gross sexual desires. And, of course, Fritz the Cat came out of this time as well. Fritz the Cat. Um, now, this is this is where the – so you can actually see in the anthology comics, our Crumb, like, kind of – evolved Fritz the Cat over time. Like, he started drawing him when he was a teenager. 1959 in a story called Cat Life. Uh, he, was he was known as Fred the Cat. Yes, he was initially known as Fred the Cat because that was the family cat's name, uh, and he totally based it off that cat. And and it was less of a uh, hu- humanoidy cat. It was or, or like a... It was like a secret life of pets kind of Yeah, it was of just like a normal cat. And then in the second comic, Robin Hood, his name was changed to Fritz and is more humanoid, as I said, and drawn with his brother Charles in strips called Animal Town, which is a super city with millions of animals. Uh, Fuzzy the Bunny was Charles's alter ego in that. Oh, uh, and- so many of those early Fritz comics are about, like, this weird psychological... Well, okay, so they would draw comics together and would call them Two-Mans. Mm. And uh, early Fritz... And what was the name of the rabbit character? Uh, Fuzzy the Bunny, I believe. There's one where, like... Basically, Fritz is in a hostage situation with Fuzzy as because he's like a traveling tramp. And like, God, it's so fucked up when you think of it's just two brothers just like trying to fuck with each other under the guise of drawing funny animal comics. Crumb said, I can express something with animals that is different from what I put into my work about humans. I can put more nonsense, more satire and fantasy into the animals. They're also easier to do than people. With people, I try more for realism, which is probably why I'm generally better with animals. Um, and, you know, Fritz is uh, glib, smooth, and self-assured, as uh, Crumb describes him. And it was essentially uh, the, the Crumb, the, the, the thing Crumb wished he could be and uh, in a lot of ways. He represented just this confident, bold, brash sort of character that I think Crumb deeply wanted to be, especially it's, with the ladies. Well, it's very weird because I ended up reading a lot of Fritz comics and, like, Fritz, so Fred the cat is just a funny take on how cats are kind of assholes. Okay. Like, always selfish, like, you know, doesn't really, you know, thinks, like, greedy. Like, if you've had a, if you had a shitty cat, you know, like, they're loud, they're obnoxious, they'll, like, manipulate you to try and get what you, what they want. And then, like, the character of Fritz uh, starts, like, becomes this weird, like, roving uh, vagabond kind of guy, like a, like a con artist or like a, a tramp down on his luck and he's always like trying to scam people and by the time he like evolves into this modern character he's just kind of an asshole he just like thinks he's hot shit but he's always pissing everyone off uh he embarrasses his lovers he like emotionally manipulates his girlfriend like it's he's not like a heroic character he's just kind of this bizarre just thinks he's you know what it is fritz the cat thinks he's being smooth but everyone can see through his bullshit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, he has different occupations like beatnik or pop music star or poet or CIA agent even at one point. Also, uh, going back to the race stuff, of course, uh, another <laughs> touchy one is the Crows mm. and Fritz the Cat are African Americans. And they're essentially portrayed as hip innocence, while uh, Fritz battles with his own racism and guilt over that racism. It's like a, a pretty honest take on. It'll sound like Dumbo did the same thing. <laughs> yeah, but more I know, right? But with not even a hint of self-reflection exactly and uh it became one of the bigger icons on the underground scene and that is because we are at the point where in 1967 uh crumb runs into a couple of buddies on their way to san francisco and asks asks rather to join uh in san francisco he contributes to various to get the hell away from his wife yes running away from his wife uh and kid and um just getting involved in the underground scene there he also took oh no wait does dana dana comes with him at first. i think dana actually comes with him yeah. he he took to the scene really quickly as much as he didn't necessarily fit in uh because he again he dressed like um like a old 50s gangster or something like or 40s gang you know what i mean like yeah. he dressed in these weird these long coats this very loose clothing and uh, uh with these hats and you know everybody else has long hair and these poofy shirts and this silk uh you know the bell bottoms and the and the the velvet you know jackets and everything but he still likes the vibe a lot that first of all the bohemian thing because at this point he's just really falling away from you know, any sense of like traditional normal living, especially as that bubble was burst for him all throughout his childhood, as you mentioned before, but also uh, just enjoys this uh, idea of like a chill vibe where everyone's like kind of relaxed and, and you know. does he like chill vibes or does he like sexually permissive women that and like that maybe he well. can crawl on them for a little and to seem groovy they have to well let he talks about this though that he it was really hard for him actually because during the whole summer of love thing i mean everybody thought he was like a narc yeah. you know what i mean like he didn't do well in that sense so i think he liked the idea of the summer of love but he never really quite fit into it you know what i mean um kind of like me at an orgy you know what i mean i'd just, just be too uptight to actually engage in anything real and yes i would also probably be called a narc so he's contributing, though, to the various underground newspapers in the area, which there were a lot of at that time in the Haight-Ashbury district, uh, which led him to illustrating a full issue of a underground magazine called Yarrow Stalks. Uh, this is the third issue of it. This was a Philly underground paper, which reflected the many elements that contributed to the counterculture there, just like a lot of these underground zines and things. It was created by a guy named Brian Zahn, along with David Alton. Zahn uh, wanted to publish Crumb's comics in an anthology after oh, that. Oh, God. What? I just realized it's actually been long enough since the Village Voice went under that we actually do have to explain alternative weeklies. <laughs> there were free newspapers <laughs> that were handed out. All the time. Um, <laughs> there was a big typesetter strike in New York City that like um, gave the alternative weeklies. They were the la they were like the only papers that were still printing and it, they became a giant cultural movement. Mm -hmm. um, and, they were they were great. They were we, the we Onion was an alt weekly back yeah, in the day, uh, but them. they don't exist anymore. They don't <laughs> they don't exist anymore. So uh, yeah, exactly. You could like go to a town and just pick one of these up off the street. You'd know who like all the cool shit to do. All the You'd cool see shit some going local, on. Uh, cool cartoons. Yep. All the all the dirty. Uh, oh, tons of tons of escort ads stuff. Uh, so Zahn wants to publish Crumb's work after this Yarrow Starks issue. He wants to publish them uh, his stuff in an anthology, and that is where we get to Zap Comics. Um, 
Problem is, he ends up uh, leaving town to do what you do around the late 60s, go to India and attempt to seek enlightenment, and he took Crumb's work with him. So Crumb says, fuck it, I'll just start over. He draws a new set of strips, which, that, which would make up Zap number one. Uh, this was published in San Francisco in early 1968 with just 3,500 copies printed. Uh, it was uh, Don Donahue who was the publisher. This was his first ever publication. He traded his hi-fi tape player to poet Charles Plimmel to publish it on Plimmel's printing press, which he later bought to found the imprint Apex Novelties, located in the ballroom of a former opera house. So, like, everything I said sounds insane. This is where we're at. This is – it's so underground. Like this, There's, like – it's a famous moment in comics history – where it was a pregnant Dana uh, pushing a baby stroller mm-hmm. full of Zap Number One comics on Haight Ashbury, uh, with like it, the same day as like a big public arts festival and selling out the whole uh, thing. Like this was like an iconic moment of a new underground com like thing give it being given birth where you don't need to go to the big publishers, you don't need to adhere to the Comics Code Authority. This was the fucking underground comics with an X. <laughs> and uh, he immediately actually weirdly connects to the mainstream in, in an odd way with well, the, the counter mainstream. Yeah, the counter mainstream with Keep On Truckin', uh, which features the lyrics of a song by Blind Boy Fuller called Truckin' My Blues Away. If you look at it, you'll probably recognize it immediately. It has these uh, iconic images. Long, walkie, leggy yeah, guys. Yeah, with the big feet and everything. I guess, too, we glossed over this when we were talking about the LSD stuff. When he took this LSD, he started drawing things in a very different way. And you can see it a lot in this stuff. And if you've ever done hallucinogenic drugs, especially LSD, you will immediately understand why. Because when you take a bunch of acid and you look at someone, like their face will get all big and distorted and 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 pulsing, or maybe their hands will be massively, weirdly huge, but the rest of their body isn't. And you get that with tr- Keep On Trucking. It is uh, pretty clearly in that as well because they've got these like giant, bubbly, bulbous feet, but like they're sort of, and then they're all curved up into this weird sort of like um, uh, walking stance that is like completely impossible to pull off. But I think in the context of an acid trip, like that's the way people can morph and deform into uh, and 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 they can just get all kind of real, real like it's like hard to describe. But the, the classic cartooning style that he developed first copying old uh, Disney comics and then as a professional, you know, greeting card illustrator where, you know, you have to be clear, you have to be like kind of funny, you have to be, uh, you know, uh, you have to have like good rendering and so easy to print, but not too good that it looks too realistic. He has this well of just base, like strong cartooning fundamentals that then get twisted through the acid. And so even and so Zap Comics was an anthology. He has, you know, there were tons of cartoonists in there, but they were all kind of like weird outsider artists. They were people kind of pushing the limits in other ways while his was was like it was fucked up. It was weird, but still had those roots in commercial art. So it like had more appeal. It yes. was more uh, meme. More guess. accessible. A hundred percent. Definitely more meme. 
Uh, so Keep On Truckin' becomes a huge hit with the Optimist Hippie movement, and Crum hates this. Crum said, I became acutely self-conscious about what I was doing. Was I now a spokesperson for the hippies or what? I had to, no idea how to handle my new position in society. Take Keep On Truckin', for example. Keep On Truckin' is the curse of my life. This stupid little cartoon caught on hugely. There was a DJ on the radio in the 70s who would yell out every 10 minutes, and don't forget to keep on truckin'. Boy, that was that obnoxious. Big feet equals collective optimism. You're a walking boy. You're moving on down the line. It's proletarian. It's populist. I was thrown off track. I didn't want to turn into a greeting card artist for the counterculture. I didn't want to do shtick, the thing Lenny Bruce warned against. That's when I started to let out all of my perverse sex fantasies. It was the only way out of being America's best-loved hippie cartoonist. And this is around the time that Crumb, via Plimmel, the poet I mentioned earlier, meets a guy named S. Clay Wilson, an underground cartoonist whose work was grotesque and violent. It is just twisted and fucked. You can completely understand how Crumb was influenced by this guy, like by looking at his imagery. And it is in no way accessible in, in a in a the sense you were just describing yeah. it is just ugly like ugly demons fucking things and people just perverse people and gross situations and just pulling no punches crumb said the content was something like i'd never seen before anywhere the level of mayhem violence dismemberment naked women loose body parts huge obscene sex organs a nightmare vision of hell on earth never so graphically illustrated before in the history of art suddenly my own work seemed insipid I used, uh, I used to censor myself. I thought I had to. Wilson sort of showed me the folly of that. He doesn't censor himself at all. Wilson is probably the one most responsible for this big sex revolution in comics. I used to draw stuff like that, and I threw it away. I suddenly realized, why the fuck do I censor myself? And this is when his work becomes hyper-sexual, like we were discussing before. Like, this is the big old, the big dicks, and the f climbing up women, and jumping into them, and... Just all that stuff. So uh, in 1969, Zap Comics number four comes out, which features a story by Robert Crumb called Joe Blow, uh, which is a send up of a 1950s like genteel, you know, leave it to beaver family. That's the one that uh, is addressed in the uh, movie, right? In the uh, documentary? Yes. Uh, I'm talking about it because it was the uh, subject of a fucking obscenity trial in New York City. The uh, People of New York versus Kirkpatrick was about uh, not our crumb wasn't involved. It was the store owner who sold mm. copies of Zap Comics number four because of this uh, comic where uh, the dad like, you know, first there's some like pleasantries like, honey, I'm home. And then the dad fucks the daughter and then the daughter uh, fucks the dad. And then like the son is like, mom, the dad's fucking sis. And the mom's like, oh, yeah, come get some, too. And the whole thing is just kind of this like uh it's 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 very graphic. It's this weird like it's this it's this it's the famous art crumb mix of like, OK, I'm getting that you're like doing a satire, but you were definitely getting off on this. Right. It starts as a satire and it essentially devolves yeah. into just pure weird sex fantasy Freudian craziness. And the uh, case is assigned to a guy named Judge Joel Tyler. He was the same guy who ruled that Deep Throat was obscenity. Uh, so he was already like kind of this moral crusader. And um, basically uh, the defense, this was like they had the publisher of uh, they had an artist, Gil Kane from DC Comics, uh, one of the curators of the Whitney Museum and uh, a Columbia professor 
and the publisher of uh, Harvey Comics, which is, you know, like Casper the Friendly Ghost and mm-hmm. Richie Rich, all testified on behalf of Robert Crumb saying, like, you know, he's hanging in our museum. He's, like, produced all sorts of stuff. Like, this is clearly a satire. He's, like, you know, this is not meant just to shock. Uh, this is, like, an artistic work that is raising valuable, yeah, like, it's not just shocking people. It's also making our crumb come. Yeah. Like, we really <laughs> uh, there's a famous exchange in the official court transcript where, like, the publisher of uh, Harvey Comics, like, throws in a dig at Archie Comics where he's just like, listen, if comics getting you horny is illegal, like, fucking, you better lock up <laughs> Betty and Veronica because I've been losing sales to those assholes for it's years. It's true. It's true. Um, and, uh, unfortunately... Uh, the judge ruled that it was obscenity and uh, the the you know, the the star owner had to like keep fighting the legal ruling for years after that. Mm. Uh, but this is where the idea of so it's so when I criticize our when people criticize our crumb, it feels very weird that to not like sound like you're mirroring the same scolds that were mad at them back in the 60s and 70s. Right. Right. And uh, it's around this time also that he releases the hypersexual snatch along with S. Clay Wilson. Snatch is just this inc- like highly, highly sexual work. He said, this isn't regular pornography. It comes at it from another angle. It's a satire on itself. It makes fun of pornography. But also, he says, uh, most people dig it. We've found people are really hungry. <laughs> We've found people that are really hungry for any valuable information about sex. It tries to open all the gates and let out all the bullshit about sex that's been locked in everybody's isolated minds for hundreds of years. They can say, I've had fantasies like this too. A lot of artists feel they have to do things that most people can't understand but look up to. But this says, I'm the same as you. It makes somebody feel better to see that other people share his fantasies. But also, also, he says, a lot of chicks are offended. (laughs) This is a funny phrase in itself. When I show it to them, they hand it back to me like it's a big turd. I understand why I'm not. It's not very romantic. It's as crude and gross as possible. Girls are sort of an oppressed minority, anyhow. Maybe I'll do a love comic for girls. Snatch is banned in three cities. There's also a big bust in Berkeley, in California, in an underground bookshop uh, where they remove it from from there. So it's like a real war happening between this movement at this point and. Um, and these underground comic makers. It's 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 a bit of a battle. And so, okay, we've got all this stuff uh, going on uh, around him. There's there's all these things. There's also the Cheap Thrills record around this time. Uh, Big Brother and the Holden Company, like I said earlier, get the out. Listen to this album. It is so good, front to back. Uh, so Janis Joplin, huge fan of R. Crumb, hits up R. Crumb and is like, can you do... Uh, well, first of all, she wanted to have the cover be her and all of her bandmates naked in bed together. Columbia says no. <laughs> so then she goes, all right, fine. Then I want to get Crumb to to illustrate uh, uh, the, the cover. Originally, the cover was going to be a portrait of Janis Joplin. Uh, but I guess they liked the back cover so much, the one that was all the different mm-hmm. songs in the comic strip. Uh, they liked it so much that they were like, no, we'll put this in the front. Uh, and yeah, uh, which makes sense. But I also, I love... Crumb's portraiture. I love when he just draws like a really intricate. It's it's like somewhere between um, caricature and like really like in depth, you know, detailed work. We didn't cover this, but during his stint in New York, when he was bouncing from art job to art job, he was like a caricature artist, like on yeah. the street working. Like it was it was a tourist trap portrait gallery in Atlantic City, where they would get people would get shuffled in off the street, and you'd draw them, and they'd pay for a picture. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so, 
They end up putting it out in the cover. Apparently, he only made like 600 bucks off of it, and he's still pissed off about it to this day. He talks about it in the documentary. Uh, also, in 1969, another thing that pissed off Crum uh, even more so, an animator named Ralph Bakshi <laughs> discovers the strip, Fritz the Cat, and convinces Steve Krantz to produce a film, and he started collaborating with Crum. Later, Crum has doubts. It's the exact thing he's always want- Bakshi's always wanted, which is to corrupt the fucking funny animal shit. Yes. So Crum has his doubts after a while of working with each other. Bakshi calls Crum like really squirrely and underhanded, said he's just like a real difficult figure. He He was uh, right. He, this, yeah, yeah. this is the story of two very difficult men. Yes. He uh Crum ends up refusing. Hey, hold on, is it too late to change the title of our podcast to Two Difficult two Men? Two difficult men. Uh he uh ends up uh refusing to sign a contract to make the movie. However, his wife, Dana, had power of attorney and signed it instead. Crumb ends up getting $50,000 in a 10% uh, take of off of Krantz's take. I bet that fucking bitch used it to pay for food for her kid. <laughs> that bitch. Uh, he was also the... Uh, so this is the first animated film to receive an X rating, uh, which they would use in advertisements. And the second half, half of the film was way more serious and violent than anything in Crumb's work. And that's really, I think, what Crumb hates. And honestly, I- I'm not as big of a fan. Like, I think, that, yeah, I think that movie starts off really great because it's more uh, faithful to Crumb's work. And then it just goes into this really weird... Backseat zone. Bakshi zone that's like really like anti-semitic it's got it's just got like this like this rape at the end that's disgusting it's just got a lot of bad like it's just it's just like gross 60 like death of the um american american 60s hippie movement like all in this film and there's amazing animation stuff going on in this movie as well and it's super trippy it's a fascinating thing i definitely would say check it out at some point out of just mere curiosity but this ends up being a worldwide hit it grosses over a hundred million dollars and again of course crumb hates it he said really it's really a reflection of Ralph Bakshi's confusion, you know? There's something real repressed about it, which is hilarious that he would be saying Yeah, this. really. In a way, it's more twisted than my stuff. It's really twisted in some kind of weird, unfunny way. I didn't ha- like that sex attitude in it very much. It's like real repressed horniness. He's kind of letting it out compulsively. Uh, and he, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And he, yeah, I know, right? And he hated the ending... Uh, the ending, he uh, Fritz uses a quote from The End by The Beatles. Uh, he's uh, Crumb said, they put words into his mouth that I never would have had him say. Later, Crumb publishes a strip called Fritz the Cat Superstar in which he gets stabbed in the back by an ex-girlfriend and refuses to write the character. Believe it or not, would you believe that the girlfriend was a ostrich with a big ass? <laughs> 100%. He refuses to ever write the character again. There's a follow-up that I even know about called The Nine Lives of Fritz the Cat, which is directed by a guy named Robert Taylor, which must be far, far worse because I didn't even know it existed. Then we also have the curious case of American Splendor. Harvey Picar uh, once said, Comics could do anything that film could do, and I wanted in on it. Picar and Crumb, of course, were friends back when he lived in Cleveland over their mutual love of jazz records, and we didn't haven't really talked about that as much either. Crumb, huge lover of old jazz and blues records. It's a big part of his passion, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about his band that he was in and all this kind of stuff, but that really... You can really hear it in the soundtrack to the documentary Crumb. Mm-hmm. It's all in there, all of his favorite stuff. And he ended up doing a lot of album covers for uh, collections of, of blues acts and yeah, things like that. The 60s was a big time for the blues revival movement. And, uh, yeah, it was – instead of going psychotropic, instead of going, like, to the stars, uh, Crumb really just wanted to get back to the earth. Yeah, 
So so Crom and Picar mutually love uh, old jazz records, and uh, Picar had been thinking about writing comics for ten years before he finally uh, decided to do something about it. This is a depressive guy, has a lot of anxiety, works as a filing clerk. It's just an awfully boring job, and. Um, uh, Picard said, when I was a little kid and I was reading these comics in the 40s, I got kind of sick of them because after a while they were just formulaic. I figured there was some kind of a flaw that keeps them from getting better than they ever are. Uh, and then when I saw Robert Crumb's work in the early 60s, when he moved from Philadelphia to Cleveland and he moved around the corner from me, I thought, man, comics are where it's at. So Crumb visits Picar in Cleveland at one point after he's starting to get some success. Picar shows him his story ideas. Crumb agrees both to draw some of his strips but also show them to other artists around to get them to draw them. And that's what sets up this situation where Picar is literally drawing like these bummer stories about his day-to-day life like as a file clerk or his like issues with his wife or all these different things. And and it's just this new style of comic where strip where it's just some guy's sad, boring life, which was so novel at the time. And well, then, that's the thing is Crumb would like write about his life and write about like weird stuff, but it would always be through this lens of like a cartoon character. Yeah. It would always be like sub like uh, subsumed through the art of like funny cartoons. Picar was just autobiographically writing a sad ass dude's life and it was fascinating to see this honesty and this just down that was so to speak talking about getting back to the earth Picar uh, is also just like drawing these weird little just stick figure illustrations like he's got no artistic ability whatsoever and then he's mailing them off to people to draw them uh, you know in a, in a better way of and the it, work of R. Crumb that I've read like a lot of it really like I think American Splendor, his American Splendor stories are the ones that I really love the oh, most. It's so good. And it's because it's... It's, it's so honest. Yeah. And it's just so real. And it's just such a real person. And he, and Crumb actually has to subdue his, like, he basically just has to stay on script because so many R. Crumb stories go off the fucking rails. Yeah. Like, just, like, he'll have an idea, something will happen, then he'll draw, like, a sexy lizard woman and now all of a sudden the whole story is about how this sexy lizard woman right. uh, has has like a secret society of men in her butt. Right. And I'm just like, fuck, man. Meanwhile, on American Splendor, he actually uses all of his creative power to tell someone else's story. And it's like a captivating story. So it runs for 17 issues from 76 to 1993 and then it get, uh, as self-published. And then he gets a Dark Horse run for 22 issues. There's also a few graphic novels. I highly recommend Our Cancer Year. It's an incredibly real, raw, emotional approach to someone dealing with a cancer diagnosis. Um, it's him and his wife telling the story. It's beautiful. Made me cry. Uh, also, um, please, and I mentioned it earlier, watch the movie American Splendor if you haven't before. It's truly a phenomenal, phenomenal film that is just so, so conceptually perfectly done uh, with, with, as the mirror of what, or, or as a, a look at what, Picar's doing, creating his life, and then, I don't know, they just do really cool things with the film structurally. Okay, so, now we're in 1980, and Crumb is now meditating. Crumb comes up during a meditation with a magazine that would be a combo of the punk zines, men's mags, and mad magazine that he loved in the past, and he's going to call it Weirdo. 
a big part of it is that um, it was really under his control. He said it was kind of a more wide open idea of what I thought a crazy underground magazine could be. And I maintained strict editorial control with Weirdo, which I realized I should have done with Zap, but I was too young and vulnerable. So what he's referring to with Zap was that it was this core of like four artists that were contributing comics to Zap magazine. And they very quickly wanted to like lock it down to just those four or five cartoonists and it was crumb being like no i want other people to contribute and i want this to be a real wild exercise and 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 he didn't really have any control over it and he gave in to their request to say no it's just us it's just mm-hmm. our thing we're like a band and he was like i don't want to be like a band um it runs for 28 issues and was published by last gasp uh, which was founded in berkeley california in 1970 by a guy named ron turner with a focus on counterculture comics and it's definitely a good place to potentially start. I've been looking around. Like, this is, where's the good place to start? This is Crumb at the height of his power. Yeah. He's like, uh, he he knows what he wants. And uh, uh, he hasn't moved to France yet and yeah. starts doing like weird one-off like uh, novelty concepts like redrawing the Bible. Yes. But there's a lot of fucked up shit in there too. Like a lot of fucked up shit. Sure. But I think, I mean, and what, uh, what would you recommend? I, I was l- trying to figure out where to uh, recommend someone to start with. Uh, people seem to think the weirdo years is a good, there's a compilation of his weirdo stuff. You don't necessarily want to do the complete crumb volume one, because you're going to get a lot of his earliest stuff with his brother, which is not necessarily the a good oh, entry no, no, point. No. So I would say that's probably a good one. Um, there's, or, there's, or you could just get just his Fritz the Cat stuff. That might be a good spot as well. So uh, one story that really I feel like encapsulates a lot of everything grand and terrifying about him is a story called Cave Wimp, uh, which is from the weirdo years, which involves this like skinny, horrifying, weird, anxious caveman who uh, is living as a recluse, a freak, on the outskirts of society, and he then upsets the entire entire social order, which involves both uh, jock cavemen and, hear me out, hear me out, big women with giant thighs and butts. And he discovers that by carving little sex dolls, he can, like, it be a part of society. And it's this giant treatise on, like, sex, society, the arts, and it has a huge chip on his shoulder, and it basically reveals how he, like, really feels about the world and it's extremely like artistically great the drawings are amazing and it also just like is a perfect snapshot on how he sees society just a horny cynical mess of a world and how he sees his role in it crumb said yes i'm guilty of looking at women as sex objects i've done it thousands of times over the course of my life i could not help it the sight of a woman with a large ass and strong legs instantly electrified me It was not something I could stop myself from feeling. I could only stop myself from acting on it. When I was young, I had a lot of anger towards women, as well as towards men and towards human society in general. I vented my feelings in my artwork and my comics. I was crazy enough not to think about the consequences too much. He'd even said at one point, you know, it was was constantly drawing. It was constantly doing comics that kept him from taking his own life. It was something he needed to do. He was compelled to do just to live in this world without being in like the deepest pits of despair, even though sometimes he was in the deepest pits of despair despair while he was drawing as well. Uh, He talks about that in the documentary, which I'll bring up now. Crumb moves with his second wife, Aileen, a frequent collaborator who he married in 1978 and their child Sophie in southern to southern France in 1991. That's right, they had another child, uh, a, a, a child together as well. 
A man during this time named Terry Zwigoff tapped Crumb to do a documentary about him. Zwigoff would go on to direct Ghost World and Bad Santa, which is such a bizarre filmography. I love it. I uh, love both of those movies. Instantly, Crumb was hesitant to make it, of course. It took nine years. Uh, Zwigoff had a tough time during these nine years. Apparently, it was just hell to make. But it ended up getting a lot of acclaim and ended up being like a pretty big deal for it's good considered reason. It's one a, of the. It's a great documentary. It has like pretty much everything a. I, like when I think of a classic documentary, this one hits all the beats yes. that you expect it to. Uh, creepy old music, eccentric characters. Conflicting interviews where the person is talked about in the highest of praise and like as the lowest shitworm. Yeah. Uh, horrifying family revelations that come halfway through and hit you like a ton of bricks. <laughs> Very sad postscripts right after sure. the credit before tons, the credits roll. Tons of amazing art, just yeah. so much, so much. A horny photo shoot with a bunch of girls. <laughs> And the song. editor of Jugs Magazine, <laughs> classic edit, a classic documentary filmmaker. While in southern France, this is now getting into uh, into modern day. He publishes a 17 volume complete crumb comics via Fantagraphics books from 1987 up to 2005. In 2009, he puts out a graphic novel version of the Book of Genesis from the Bible, which is pretty fascinating. Also, going back to his band stuff, if you want to check out his music, R. Crumb and his Cheap Suit Serenaders. This was the band he was a leader of. He wrote songs for them. He sang lead vocals. He played banjo and other instruments. He also plays mandolin with uh, Eden and John's East River String Band, who he illustrated, illustrated some of their album covers as well. Uh, and yeah, we're pretty much now up to modern day. I will say he's moved into the same social environment as we all have. Uh, it, it's definitely reflected in these quotes I have to close this out. He said, I don't even look at women anymore. I try not to even think about women anymore. It helps that I'm now 75 years old and am no longer a slave to a raging libido. But also that, finally, it became nearly impossible to draw anything that might be offensive to someone out there, and that's where I'm am, I'm at today. Uh, I only feel... Uh, I mean, I only feel... No, we're allowed to look at a comic where you painstakingly render the night that you got a friend who was not interested in you romantically, blackout drunk, and then you literally clamber over her body to like get your nut off before she passes out from intoxication. We're allowed to look at them and go, hey, our crumb, that's fucked up. Yeah, that's fucked up. But I do also agree with the sentiment that people are far too offended these days. Off uh, I'm not at that. That's yeah. offensive to me too. I only feel misunderstood when people react to my work as if I were advocating the things I drew, the crazy, violent sex images, the racist images. I think they're not getting it. I did not draw those images with the intention to hurt anyone or insult anyone, with the exception of the very few times I did strips making fun of specific individuals like Donald Trump. There you have it. That is, uh, I think, our episode. It's a complex and interesting one. I love these, though. I love these these stories that you have to unpack and that yeah. aren't just, like, on their face one thing or the other thing. You know what I mean? This speaks towards where we're at today as a society as well, which I think is fat. I love that he's still alive. It's so weird. It, like, makes me think about, you know, because I wish, like, Hunter Thompson was still alive, you know? Because I just want to hear what Hunter Thompson would say about what's going on today. You know what I mean? And, and, and uh uh, that sort Let of me stuff. guess, the guy who was all about how the kids are the future and how teens are always right will immediately be like, teens are always wrong Fuck once Snapchat. he gets criticism. Yeah. Um, Fuck Snapchat. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, this is like just boomer sickness. I can't I can't fully <laughs> uh, describe it. But like, yeah, no, Arkham is like a weird guy. It's, his comics are I, I you know, I respect what he what kind of sprung from his work because 
the artists who were influenced by him, the artists who followed in his footsteps are some of the most like profoundly affecting creators that I'd ever come across. And the medium of comics is capable of so much. And he kept with like through sheer uh, obsessive force of will kept that door open so that others could like actually explore this one of the most raw, honest and like powerful things a single person can create because a movie takes a lot of people and you can write a book, but like a, a book doesn't have the same impact that a good comic does. And mm-hmm. uh, Scott McCloud is like a, this, this famous uh, comic artist who has multiple books about comic theory. But like if you are a good cartoonist, you can get like 90% of the vision from your head onto the page. Mm. Whereas every other art form will get compromised in some weird way. Totally. totally. And R. Crumb definitely did not compromise when he made his comics. Absolutely. And I think that's where we'll leave it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, really appreciate it. If you'd like to support us further, check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew. Uh, you can follow me on twitch.tv forward slash holdnatorsho for some live streams. Jake, we gotta get, get you back on soon, man. Oh, God, that was super fun. I know, right? When we got hammered together at the uh, cocktail stream. But yeah, we should have, we should do like a whizbrew Q&A or something fun like that. Soon. Oh, what's, uh, I really want to play that uh, River City Girls game. River City Girls, yeah, I could pick that up. That's because uh, beat em ups are a good talk and play game. This is very true. This is very true. Um, all right, Jake, where where can we find your bullshit? Um, well, now that I've <laughs> definitely set myself up for some intense DM conversations, <laughs> uh, follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young and uh, go to iTunes, I guess. And and uh, hey, I, I don't know. Maybe keep on whizzing. I don't know. Keep on bruising. <laughs> I just realized how similar to the trucking thing it is. It is. And how fucking... <laughs> Bruising God, by the side of the road. He'd hate it. Keep on whizzing. Uh-huh. Take care, everybody. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Hey, have you heard the Virginia Lottery has a new Willy Wonka Golden Ticket Scratcher that has a top prize of $100,000? Tell that to my automated Golden Ticket Scratcher apparatus. You simply put the ticket in here, and the machine scratches it for you. And while we wait, we can play the Willy Wonka Golden Ticket online game with a top prize of $1 million. Just visit VALottery.com or use the lottery app. That's one impressive scratcher apparatus. Use it whenever. What's mine is yours. But hands off the scratcher. That Willy Wonka Golden Ticket is all mine.